0: So guys, you might notice that you aren't hearing a very familiar voice and that is because Miss Vanessa Fisher is in Freetown right now in Sierra Leone. So if you would like to keep up with all the details, you can find her at Vanessa Fisher Actress on Instagram with all the pictures of what she's getting up to. Hey guys, welcome back to Generation Vex, the podcast where we discuss and explore literature by writers of colour. We'll occasionally,
1: regularly, mm-hmm,
0: <laughs> take a detour into the arts and popular culture, and no matter the topic, something's always got us vexed. That's true. Mm-hmm. Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures.
1: So we've got something a little different for you today, guys. Uh, As you may know, last episode we chatted to author Bernadine Evaristo about her new novel, the Booker Prize winning Girl Woman Other. Girl Woman Other follows the lives and struggles of 12 very different characters, mostly women, black and British, as they tell the stories of their families, friends and lovers across the country and through the years. This episode we'll be drawing on some of the themes of the book, and in our conversation we'll be chatting about some other books which we think tie into those topics, as well as cultural things that have been inspiring us recently. You don't have to have listened to our last episode to enjoy this one, but you're welcome to. Today we are joined by Hannah Chukwu, part of the editorial team at Hamish Hamilton. Yes. Hey Hannah, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> um, Hannah worked on Go Home Another, and will probably have much more in-depth insight into the novel and its themes than we do, welcome to the podcast.
0: Welcome.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hannah, as always, we open our podcast with a question that we like to ask all of our guests. So I'm going to ask you today, what has vexed you recently? Mm-hmm.
2: A great question. <laughs> uh, mine's actually very topical this week. Okay. So um, mine is about the coverage of the Turner Prize last night. don't know uh-huh. if you guys saw it. Okay. But the um, reporter Sean Lay, when he was talking about how um, prizes have been kind of split between um, different winners this year, when he mentioned the Booker, he talked about it being won by Margaret Atwood and another author. Oh, yeah. another
1: author, yeah. generic other author.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think other is especially mm-hmm. um, yeah, interesting.
0: A Freudian interesting. slip there, maybe. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. also really specific. T- I just, I'm, I'm just fed up, really. I'm sick and tired of being the other now, Mm -hmm. you know, know. and I think it's like, it's incredible because Bernadine is phenomenal at what she does and the fact that she has written for people like her is incredible Mm -hmm. and for someone who's a news reporter who's supposed to have done their research about every single person who's won the Booker Prize, which there's only
1: two. two. (laughs) It's not a a long list.
0: (laughs) There's only two this year, so um, yeah, I just feel like that was a weird slip.
2: agreed yeah
0: Yeah.
1: crazy I think also it really plays into that kind of um kind of a trope which I feel has like is heavy that it feels especially as other as people you know who are not sort of the mainstream you constantly need to prove yourself and that idea that she's still another author rather than the Booker Prize winning you know and like joint winner of this year and somebody who has been working for you know decades in the industry it's it's Mm -hmm. crazy we had her on yesterday uh, yesterday we had her on last episode and Like talking about her career just blew my mind. The length of time Mm. and the amount of time, the amount amount of different sort of eras of literature that she's been through, and to still Mm. kind of be regarded as like an up and comer or someone who's just breaking into the mainstream after all that
2: definitely yeah. and when she talked about it it's like a uh, you're watching her uh, be erased kind of in real time yes, she's talking yeah talking about how we lose people in history yeah. but she's yeah. like this is literally happening I saw that's what yeah, yeah. And it
1: really is it's yeah that's it's such a shame and also points out kind of how important it is for the people in power the people who have the voices to constantly do that work to help uplift because mm-hmm. those marginalized people you know you can write a book a prize winning book and still somebody can erase you with a single kind yeah. of half thought comment mm-hmm. and so yeah. it does, it takes the effort for people to actually go I'm going to help to put somebody in the place they deserve to be mm-hmm. Absolutely. so
0: listen guys go out there buy the book girl woman other and <laughs> yeah. let's hashtag it exactly. girl woman other she is not an other yeah. anymore thank yeah. you very much
1: Sharon <laughs> uh, how about you what has vexed you
0: okay thank you so much And rubbing my hands together they sound dry I, I apologize <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop <clears throat> Right, what's vexed me is going to be a throwback vexation. The internet, around about this time of year, either at the end or at the beginning, they do like a rundown of what's been like the best meme or the best video yeah. of the year. My favourite content. You know, my, <laughs> my, my favourite rubbish content that I'm looking at at midnight when I should be sleeping, right? Um, and one of the videos that it reminded me of was um, the one where BBC News closed a new segment, I think around December 16th. 2016, which is weird why they're repeating it this year. But um, with a dance from a corn road black man, just dancing in his basketball jersey, it's just giving so it break good. dance, yeah. like, to do you the, remember that? Yeah yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's like to the BBC news <laughs> theme oh, as well. <laughs> the it's BBC so news theme so music,
0: and it's so
1: awkward,
0: <gasps> <laughs> and it's just, it's so long, man. And it's like to the 60 second countdown. Yeah. So you, you're just watching this thing and Knowing you're like, why can't I on. look away? <laughs> why am I still watching this? It takes so long and it has that certain Mary J. Blige singing at Hillary Clinton vibe. You know, just yeah. that awkwardness. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so the thing that really gets me is that at the end he attempts to do a backflip, a backflip, a backflip <laughs> back and he misses.
1: Yeah, it's not and great.
0: Everyone is like, oh no, what do we do? Simon McCoy decides to... Like chime in and then not only have us watch that 60 second clip give us a play by play of what yeah. we've just seen he goes oh you know actually I'm going to quote him directly he says I'll give you some tips later the big box little box thing that would really work <laughs> Simon
1: just let's move past it let's, Simon, let's, let's,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh please it was awkward enough please just let us like go past that yeah. so yes that's what vexed me just watching that video all over again and being like just tortured yeah. one, mm. once more by the internet thank you so much internet um hashtag love you please don't uh troll me <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what has vexed you stevenson you, there you yeah. um
1: what's vexed me uh this is this is kind of kind of a follow-up to something that vexed me um a few episodes ago um it's a fashion related thing and what's it's kind of like a it's an editorial related thing and a fashion related thing. Um, I was reading, I was on the tube on the way in reading uh, a magazine, one of those free magazines that you get, you know, that get handed out, but it kind of, this is exemplary of lots of other things as well, but it's the pricing of stuff in in magazines, in things like, you know, GQ or like, um, like the female equivalent where they'll be talking about must have items for the winter and you open it up and you look and it's like, it's a pair of gloves, they're a thousand pounds or it's a pair yeah. of shoes, they're great, there's, you know, 20,000 pounds and I just, I'm really confused as to who the market is for these these clothes or yeah. these items, these like, these gifts, especially around like a Christmasy or end of year time, it's very, it has this feeling where I'm just like, I don't understand who the target demographic is for this. But if it's Mm. for me, it's making me feel bad, you know? Um, And it really stresses me out as I look at my very much not £1,000 (laughs) gloves that I'm
0: wearing. (laughs) But I just feel like it's targeted at every single person who... Does not earn enough money to pay for yeah. of a thousand pounds worth of gloves, but one day hopes they will, which mm-hmm. is horrible, man. Just thinking about it. Yeah. It's I terrible. It
2: was, it's, you said it was a free magazine as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. it's yeah. crazy. Honestly. That's
1: actually really interesting. It kind of makes me think of, you know, the, the whole argument that's been going on online recently about people supporting billionaires and kind of capitalism being really propped up by people who mm-hmm. who feel as though they're a few steps away from being a billionaire without maybe really comprehending quite how much money that is and mm-hmm. i feel like these kind of magazines really feed into that narrative that kind of if you work a little bit harder if you scrimp a little bit more you'll, yeah. you'll you know quadruple or times by a thousand your income somehow mm-hmm. it's a very yeah it's, it's a very interesting but vexing occurrence I think. yeah
0: but you know what i think Always listen to the advice of Hassan Minaj at this point, where he says, "Bellinas will not save you. Yeah. They will not help you. So it, there's no need to help them." Yeah, very you know? true. Very that's, true. That's it.
1: So you saying I should stop reading these magazines? Yes, that's <laughs> what stop I mean. They so shiny. That's what you I mean. Know? I just yeah. want it, and they're so free. <laughs> <laughs> they're so free. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on to go on another.
0: Mm-hmm. Sharon.
1: Um, What themes specifically jumped out for you in the book? What would you like to talk about today?
0: Okay. So the themes that I found very interesting in Girl, Woman, Other are women and power. And um, obviously I've I've been reading Mary Beard, Women and Power. um, And that book makes a lot of reference to Caravaggio's Head of Medusa. Um, which obviously was made by Caravaggio. (laughs) um, Obviously, to everyone who knows Caravaggio, which wasn't me two days ago. um, And and then he created two versions of Medusa um, depicting the exact moment when she was executed by Perseus. So my question to you is from Medusa to Merkel to May to Clinton, is the world still obsessed with quieting the incessant noise of a powerful and
2: opinionated woman?
1: Mm. <laughs> that is a well-structured question.
2: Mm, I find it really interesting that yeah. you, um, the kind of women that you mentioned are specifically, mm. like, politically powerful. Yeah. So I do think that's almost like a separate category in itself of how, like, women are treated.
0: Yeah, I think that's, like, that's the category of women that we see mm. on a regular basis at the moment anyway, because... Our our entertainment, I guess, at the minute is found a lot in politics because of what's going on um, politically right now. We are finding that online there are a lot of jokes being made about politicians and things like that. And specifically, a lot of the jokes that are being made about the female politicians Mm. is about how noisy they are, how bad they are they're so noisy and they're so loud and they're mm. so you know we shouldn't be listening to them they're so shrill you know I so think
1: also i like iconically margaret thatcher well i don't know how like truthful this is but there's a mm. story that she learned to pitch her voice down yes. because she was yeah. being told that like she sounded too much like a woman and she yeah. sounded too shrill and that's a very yeah if she wanted to be in power she'd have to kind of take on more masculine characteristics yeah be less mm. feminine in order to kind of translate
0: but this is the thing like um this is exactly what mary beard is talking about she talks in her book about women being asked constantly to have like a lower timbre to their voice um in order for them to be in male um um male dominated spheres Mm -hmm. and that being really really important for them and so i just wonder like is that something that is still persistent today um not just in the political sphere but also in day-to-day life is that something that you mm. see regularly and if so how can we combat that
2: yeah some of the people i was thinking of um are again kind of people in women in politics so like aoc um yes. mm-hmm. and yeah. how her kind of i think it's basically you can't really argue that she is not an incredible um speaker yeah. and like debater like that's mm. kind of all the videos that go viral of her are of her like kind of dismantling yeah. um yeah. policy and kind of, you know, questioning really well. Um and yet I think a lot of the kind of hatred that she gets from her um opposition yes. comes back to her being like a young woman. They were like, Oh well why is anything she says important? Yeah. Even though like her, I don't know, one of her strongest features I think is like how strong she is at debating yeah, and speaking absolutely. specifically.
1: And I, I also think an interesting kind of um an interesting question there is like it, and it's definitely, I feel, a masculine-feminine thing, is that mm. don't you want a political leader who is articulate, intelligent, and can speak well, you know, mm-hmm. rather, and don't you want someone who is willing to talk passionately and, in you know, informedly about mm. subjects? And I feel if she was a man, there would be, the language kind of structured around that would be so different, and, the, yeah. you know, the her, her, her sort of... Um, like all the sort of negative elements of the passionateness that she brings to it could be perceived as being oh he's such a strong talker he's you know he really knows what he wants Mm -hmm. he goes out and gets it and like i do think that there's definitely yeah it does really feel like a gendered issue in terms of being able to shut her down by saying she's just sort of like a jabbering woman which is not really something you ever say about male
0: yeah but this is the thing there are certain words that are used for women specifically so like jabbering um shrill obviously mm. like yammering like a dog like you know what i mean mm. have you have you ever heard hysterical. that yeah. Yeah, hysterical yeah hysterical massively yeah certain words that are just always used specifically for women whereas with men if a man is loud or argumentative he just has an opinion he's very opinionated you know what i mean like mm. um or very strong he's got a strong character a strong will.
1: there's a really good uh Nicki minaj interview which i think <laughs> surprisingly kind of sums this up where she talks about how people talk about her as being a very um you know, uh, someone who is is difficult to work with or can be very particular and can be kind of... She says she gets called bossy a lot. And she mm-hmm. says, like, if mm-hmm. a man is bossy, he's a boss. And yeah. if women, but women are bossy. And, like, it's not a thing that ever gets put the other way. And she really talks about how, like, she has had to constantly bear the load of being called bossy until yeah. she was put in a place where they were going, OK, but the results speak for themselves. So we don't like her, but we have to accept that she's there.
0: Very interestingly, um, in the book Girl, Woman, Other, what I found is the relationship specifically between, like, Bumi and Carol, who are mother and daughter. Um, Bumi, having grown up in Africa, um, brings her daughter with her husband. Um, Things happen and it just ends up being Bumi and her daughter Carol. And, you know, Carol is sort of growing up in a London neighbourhood and she's, you know, trying to be the best that she can be and, you know, falling on the wayside every now and then and Bumi is doing her best to encourage her daughter. But I feel like there is something to be said about the silencing of you know, the African girl within Carol who is being raised by Bumi. But the second she goes off to Oxford University and, and begins to change her language and starts to speak differently, that African girl is silenced and, and she goes away and she's no longer there with Bumi anymore. And I think it's something to be said about, you know, being told that you're, the voice that you have right now isn't enough. That's mm. not what we want. There is a certain type of voice that is better mm. for you. And it, it almost feels like What Bernadine does is she writes this relationship very beautifully because it starts to like dismantle somehow because that voice is lost. That sound that Carol had before she left for Oxford is destroyed and it's different. So, yeah, I just kind of find like a silencing going on in lots of different areas and spheres and yeah i think mm-hmm. that's really
1: interesting and kind of almost is like to me at least reads as kind of the negative version of intersectionality in that yeah. like, mm-hmm. as a as women there is the conversation about you being silenced for your femininity mm-hmm. and then as you said um uh, Bernadine writes about like predominantly black women and then there's mm-hmm. an element of being a woman and a person of color and that both of those traits are not desirable traits in a you know a like Patrick like patriarchal society, yeah. and as a result, you kind of not only is your femininity being silenced, but your sort of otherness in your race is yes, being silenced yeah. as well. Mm. And so Carol almost feels as though Carol has to choose the lesser of two evils, and she's mm. like, "To be a successful woman, I can't also be a you know an outspoken black woman. I have to be yes. the 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 sort of whitest, most Western version Quintessential of myself. I can be in to kind of break through." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of which is obviously really really sad. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose the second half of your question about kind of like, what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. Or how do you kind of, how do you overcome that? I think Girl, Woman, Other is a really good example of that is giving women spaces to, to speak, to feel that their voices are valid, that their yeah. voices can be heard and they don't have to kind of adapt their way of existing in order to be taken seriously. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. yeah,
0: for sure. Like, like for ex- for example, sorry, I'm going to keep talking about the book because I loved it so much. But um, for example, Bernadine then goes on to tell the story about Letitia. Mm-hmm. You know the story, uh, like okay, so Letitia is this young girl went to the same school as Carol, but fell sort of didn't end up going to um, a good university. She ended up working um, in in a shop. I think it's Iceland. I'm not 100 percent sure, but in my mind, for some reason, I saw yeah, Iceland. Like a supermarket kind of. <laughs> yeah, mm. for some reason. But yeah, Letitia was silenced in a different way. She was silenced sexually, you know, by all the different men in her life. Um, And I think the, the way in which Bernadine writes is that she gives Letitia an arc of a story. She doesn't just make Letitia the girl who works in a supermarket she gives her like this beautiful story of someone who is whole and full regardless of where she works what how that compares to someone else how that looks when you know someone comes and chats her up down the street or whatever she gives her like a full life and a family and friends and people she relates to and and people that she can be serious with but people sh- and people she can be silly with and and i think that's like the beauty of telling a story that's not um Just one story. Mm -hmm. To remind Adichie says that um, a story isn't just, you know, I don't have to just have one story within myself. I can be multiple things Mm -hmm. in one story. And I think that's what's so powerful about what Bernadine does. She gives someone a complete arc. And and I don't feel like I'm just going to brush her with one stroke. Mm. Letitia is Letitia in so many different spheres. And she's accepted Mm -hmm. in those spheres. And I think that's how we can combat that. Can I ask before we, question.
1: before we move on from that is mm-hmm. um, in a more sort of personal sense as to women mm-hmm. um, are there any kind of times in your lives where you felt silenced because of your femininity or you felt that you've not been able to sort of speak or that you've not been taken as seriously because of being women in a specific space um, and how did you guys kind of personally combat that if if that's happened to you?
2: Mm. Well I was just thinking well bringing it back to the book actually I think mm-hmm. what she does really interestingly is if you're comparing like. Carol and Amma and like how they they both end up like very successful Mm -hmm. but that success looks incredibly different and one kind of involves compromise which is Carol who's kind of been in an institution where she feels like her only like route to success is kind of dampening herself and kind of um making herself smaller but then she does succeed like it's not that you know, it's, it's, it's complex because you, mm. you're not like, oh, she did this awful thing and now, you know, it hasn't worked out. Like she, yeah. she is kind of successful. Very successful, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. And then Amma kind of has the opposite experience where she's very much like, I think the, I can't remember the exact line but Brendan talks about her like throwing like grenades from like the side yes. of, she's yes. always yeah. like kind of rebelling against um what was mainstream and then it's not that she ever moved into the mainstream but like the mainstream, mainstream moved to her. Moved to yeah. her. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um And I think that is yeah what your question and your question like makes me think about a lot is that choice I feel like I've definitely been in situations where I feel like I'm making a choice like that where I'm like yeah. okay and I, I know exactly what it looks like to be successful in this situation I don't think that's who I am right now but I think I maybe could do that I think yeah. I maybe could um speak like that or like go to that event and meet yeah. those you know what I mean that yeah, kind absolutely. of thought and then the other situation which is having more confidence in yourself and kind of yeah. in um just like your context and like the what your experience brings, which is where you're like, no, I'm not gonna compromise on that at all. And that mm. doesn't mean success and maybe won't mean success like in the future. But like I, I maybe wanna make that choice now. I've definitely yes. had that experience.
1: and yeah. um, and I think also that really feels to me that it touches on something which I think is really important, which is realizing that making that decision is not a one decision you make Mm -hmm. but it's a decision you make every single day it's a decision you make you know conversation to conversation person to person situation to situation and Mm -hmm. so you can kind of like you said you know there are moments where you go i'm not ready to make that to to you know rock the boat in this way yet and Mm -hmm. i kind of have to keep my head like ducked under i have to take that microaggression or i have to Mm -hmm. you know allow someone to think something of me that i know isn't entirely true because it's not beneficial for me here but next time around I'll do something different or next time around I can change it. And Mm. allowing yourself the grace to kind of not beat yourself up about it too much because Mm. it's hard out there, you know? And uh, actually, (laughs) you know, sometimes you need to do the thing that's gonna protect you short term and sometimes you need to do the thing that's gonna benefit you long term and those Mm. things can sometimes look very different.
0: I think my first experience of being silenced, I I was really young and I was silenced by a woman, but like a woman who was not of my race because of the way that I looked people assumed that I was the one in the wrong and um, I ended up being suspended from school for like a week because uh, you know, we were in an argument even though she's the one that started the argument and said some very racist things. um, I was the one who got in trouble Mm -hmm. for um, being opinionated back. And I think that being my first experience in an institution, um, which is school, I found that like I went in into myself a lot more. So I found that I became like more inward with my with the things that I wanted to say. I didn't like voice my opinion so much anymore because from then on I sort of learned that when you say things out loud, people will push push back. So I was mm. like I'm I'm never going to do that and I've kind of ended up I ended up being like one of those grown-ups that would not really say how they felt all the time you know which is horrible Mm. you know not not very good so i think i learned from then um the idea of white tears uh (laughs) is a very Mm. uh very important thing in this world unfortunately and um yeah just one of those things i've had to learn to live with but i refuse to (laughs) anymore (laughs) anyway but yeah but i do think that for me i found um quite a closeness with Burmi's experience, mm-hmm. funnily enough, mm-hmm. because I relate to her at such a deep level. I was I'm I'm an Im- immigrant. I moved here from Africa and um Africa the country. Yeah, I was really I was actually thinking <laughs> of Africa. You know the
1: country of Africa.
0: Uh yes. Um Africa the country. I um I moved here and everything was like a whole new world. So when that experience happened, I feel like there are different chapters in your life. Um the chapter of me move, moving here was great. And then moving from London to Essex was like a huge thing for me. But then being in Essex and then being silenced in that way at school uh, was like a whole different chapter mm-hmm. for me. And so I felt that way um, when I was reading the book and Bumi had the experience with the dodgy uh, pastor or priest. Yeah. It was kind of like a similar experience to me at school and feeling like I was let down by the people that I had relied on so much by my teachers I can't I couldn't believe that they had let me down in that way and um, I feel like the way that uh, Bernadine wrote Bumi's story is so beautiful because it meant that it doesn't matter what chapter is opened up there's always going to be the next Mm. and there'll be the next Mm. chapter and there'll be the next chapter and and Bumi's life in the end she ends up doing lots of incredible things with her life Bernadine just kind of writes in a way where like I said before the chapters continue to go in life and things continue to change and one situation doesn't have to define who you are
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Stevenson so how about you let us know what themes affected you from the book?
1: Um, I think uh, kind of similarly to you, mm-hmm. um, a big thing that I kind of connected with was uh, Emma's character and the idea of kind of art and the idea of like the voice of the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. especially with Bernadine and kind of what we talked about with What's Vexed You, you know, there are... I find it really interesting looking at like art as a product and also art as being kind of a representation of you and the artist themselves yes. um, and it really really reminded me of a book I read a few years ago called the blazing world by Siri hustved which is a novel about a female artist who after years of being ignored by the art world conducts an experiment she conceals her female identity behind three male fronts and puts on three different um, gallery sort of installations um, as with three different... Male re- existing artists that exist, and she uses them to kind of present her work. So there's one guy who's like a sort of young, like wunderkind and everyone's like, "Oh, he's so exciting and new and interesting." And then there's a guy who's like an older established artist, and there's a guy who's really kind of left field and like he, you know, he uses like bodily fluids and like weird things in his art. So everyone's like, "Oh, it's so exciting." And she is this kind of perceived as quite a frumpy kind of middle-aged woman who everyone's like, "Well, she's just who she is," and you know, there's nothing exciting about her as a as a performer, um, or as, a, as an artist. Um, the, the book actually opens with a quote, um, which is all intellectual and artistic endeavours, even jokes, ironies and parodies, fare better in the mind of the crowd when the crowd knows that somewhere behind the great work or great spoof, they can locate a cock and pair of balls, which yes. is um, Harriet Burden, who is the, the main character, that's a quote from her, the character. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you guys, um, as women, uh, and more specifically as women of colour who work in the creative industries, Do you feel that your path has been harder because of these defining features? Um, And if so, have you found ways to overcome
0: these obstacles? That's such a dope question. Mm. I've been mm. smiling since you started (laughs) asking that question because I'm ready. Come on.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, so in my experience, I work in publishing. Yeah, give us a bit of... Yeah, so I'll I'll give you some context for that. Um, So, yeah, so I've just been working in it for a year now and I'm kind of with the same team. Uh, And I'm really lucky in that the... Kind of stuff that we publish like the publisher himself really really champions kind of women of color's voices and great. women's voices in general mm-hmm. um so it's like really great to be working on art that you care about and yeah. kind of mm-hmm. um li- aligns with your values and what you think is a priority it's really interesting talking to him about the shift that's happened since he started. So he's been um, publishing for like 20 years and kind of has been trying to publish stories like he's been publishing Bernadine for the last 20 years. Wow, yeah. <laughs> for like one example. And she has never had the breakthrough that she's had now, even right. though she's been talking about the same themes. And it's, you know, yeah. she's very much been, um, yeah, had the same ideas and um. Similarly to Amma in the book, like you said earlier, the mainstreams come to her rather than her having to shift. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And so I feel like I've... I'm very privileged to have kind of arrived at this time when I'm like, oh, I'm working on all of these like books that are uh, champion yeah. championing women of colour. Um, but then acknowledging that the history of that is much more complex. Um so I don't know if either of you saw the um exhibition at Somerset House, um, get up stand up now or yes I, bit. Oh my god, I just missed it. Mm. I was so amazed. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So it was like all about um like creative Black Britain, essentially, yeah. like yeah. over the last hundred years, and I had writers and photographers and filmmakers, um, and a lot of the like uh, people I work with went like numerous times and like cried in the exhibition. <laughs> oh, and, like it wow. had a real like impact on them because yeah. they were like having lived through the time when this just wasn't yeah. like um, pushed to the forefront, and like all of this ha- stuff was happening in secret, almost like the no one was being celebrated in the way yeah. they should mm. be. Um, so I think that's what I f- find. Have found most striking about the time that I've arrived, because um, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of um, schemes for like diversity and inclusion, um, which have mostly been really positive in yeah. my experience. Like, obviously, they have their downfalls as like schemes, and when you're in an industry that is like predominantly very white and has been for a long time, yeah. like being at the forefront of that also has its challenges. Yeah. But it means I've arrived in a time where I'm like, oh, like actually, my most of my network. Are people of color, <laughs> even within this industry? So,
1: I, a question about that, which I think is really would be really interesting. So, when mm. we had our launch um, event for this podcast, we had lots of people of you know, people of color from the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did find was that m- the majority of them were at a relatively junior level, mm. um, and I think yeah. I totally agree with you in terms of being like we feel like I feel like we're kind of on the the precipice, or you know, really lucky to be at the, like the crest of this wave of like something that where people are starting to you know realize diverse voices are more interesting, mm. or even from a more cynical perspective currently diverse voices are selling really well so mm-hmm. it's something that people are looking to yeah. like back and but you may struggle to find somebody over the sort of 35 or in a position of mm-hmm. like real creative or like financial power mm-hmm. in any kind of industry that is non-white because like as you get further up the pyramid it's like exponentially fewer people yeah. are getting up there yeah it's
0: it's absolutely yeah, yeah and i I'm, i keep trying to think of like who in the ceo sort of bracket mm-hmm. um who's like people of color and all i can see is edward edward ennenfall and yeah, um, vanessa uh, Kingori, mm. um who i love um but it's like we need more yeah we need mm. more people and who i are. mean
1: Bernadine is such a good example of that and i think we she actually talked about it in the last episode about kind of the longevity and the fact that like she's been around and she mentioned edward as well didn't she mm, yes yeah, is, she is very kind of yeah, she's she's one of a few, you know, and the mm. fact that she's been around, like you said, she's had like a two-decade career, mm-hmm. yeah. like puts her in such a small bracket of writers of colour, male and female, really. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really excited. I feel like because everything, it's simmering and everyone um, being at a junior level, like excites me because that means that in the next 10 years, there's about to be a huge shift, mm. you know, mm. and we're going to see those CEOs... Um, coming up and and it just it means that we're the ones who are getting to write history in a way that's that's honest and real and true and that means you know my grandkids are going to be reading about this huge wave of like people coming up and telling their stories and that that excites me yeah you know I That's think
1: really I think a big part of it as well which kind of gets touched on in in uh, One other is um, yeah. is technology as an empowerment mm. tool and the fact that so many of these people so many younger people of color so many marginalized groups in general you know LGBT groups have mm. benefited massively from like being able to connect through technology and mm. you know Morgan in the book who is a non-binary character who mm. becomes kind of like a figurehead online for non-binary activism trans activism and LGBT activism is they are able to access that because of the fact that technology exists in a way that didn't exist prior and I think that kind of has had a massive impact in in our world as well I think there are a lot of people you can kind of point at who are making you know content creators who are making their own YouTube videos and then getting commissioned to do things for like Mm. you know terrestrial TV or real TV or they're making music on SoundCloud and then they eventually get a record label and people who maybe are finding a way into the mainstream through slightly, like, anarchic roots that mm-hmm. wouldn't have necessarily been available to them
2: beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I love in the book as well that, like, Yaz and her friends, yeah. the, they're, they're, like, they're, like, depiction of them learning about their time in history. Yeah. It's so interesting, because, obviously, Yaz's mum kind of was a, like revolutionary Mm -hmm. kind of her time but yeah she doesn't recognize it her daughter just doesn't recognize it as what we're what's happening now like it is quite i think different because of technology as you said like people are able to communicate so much faster and like organize much quicker and yeah. Um, yeah just share ideas in a way that like they couldn't before Yeah, um, and also like watching her and her friends like make mistakes as well yes. and like f- you know be really ill-informed
1: but yeah. like passionate and, yeah really having that like a very loud voice yeah <laughs> what they exactly. know they want to say the right thing yeah but that's yeah. like
0: indicative of our society now mm. that's the beautiful like honestly she writes about Hattie um, in a way that only Hattie can can write you know in in the book and um, Hattie is a character who um we then find out is um, Morgan's grandmother. But we hear about Hattie's story in the 1920s, and the story is written in that language. Whereas with Yaz and her friends, Mm. we are seeing them make mistakes all the time. It's like watching her story through Instagram. Yeah. Watching her story through Facebook. Like we are seeing all of their mistakes, all of their trips and their falls, and things like that. But Bernadine writes in a way that we can understand that Mm. this is like 21st century, and that's 20th century. Mm. And like in one single book she's managed to do all of yeah. that it's incredible
1: do you guys think that's important to have like your mistakes on view as much as your successes like i think mm. technology really gives you that option mm. but like, how do you guys feel about that boy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
2: think that's a really hard one yeah. so i do think that questions around that and questions around um kind of personal history and kind of i think are often aimed more at people of color as well like in the media yeah i feel like they're really expected to kind of talk about i guess sometimes like their mistakes but often more when like the system has failed them and how they Mm -hmm. rose from like the the horrible situation they were in yeah um which i don't i don't think is uh necessary like because you know either everyone is treated like that or like no one is like you can't have one or the other. so in that sense i do think that's like very much a negative thing, like kind of having to um relive all of these yeah. like grim things that happen to you, or like kind to of to continually define you. I suppose, yeah.
1: Because I, I, I suppose the, the the next step of that is that you're never allowed to move past it and yeah. actually just mm. be a like a creator or a, you know a successful person in your own right. It's mm. always connected to this sort of terrible like trauma that people like to feed off. Mm. Wait,
0: guys, are you trying to tell me that people of color can? have grown up in a very (laughs) healthy um wonderful household i think i was sort of going back to your question i think i i feel like a lot of like my attempts at getting to where i'm at now have really been like (laughs) i feel like i've been sort of pushed back quite a lot quite a lot and the example that you gave actually of the artist um putting it in putting her art out um, through male voices Mm -hmm. was something that I really wanted to do I remember when I was 18 years old I decided I'm gonna release my music and that was like the first time I'd ever you know um, spoken out loud about whatever music I I was into and I was like the only way I want to put it out is if I pretend that I'm a white girl have my own voice mm. come be sung by a white girl and see how people receive it because yeah. i just kept seeing videos of like you know the beyonce was really famous but the Kelly Rowland didn't really quite get the same yeah. reception. Mm-hmm. Um, Nivea didn't get the same reception as everyone else. She was a little bit darker skinned. Do you know what I mean? Um, a lot of the girls, like the Saturdays were coming out really famous. And a lot of them were fair skin mm-hmm. and, you know, not my skin color. So yeah. I was like, I want to put out my music with a white person in the front and see how people would react, you know? And I just, I for some reason, I thought that people would like pay more attention to me if I were lighter skinned. Do you think that that white. was
1: like a like a defense mechanism? Like do you think you were like protecting yourself like you yeah. know potentially or Yeah, for sure.
0: I think I was definitely protecting myself, but for good reason. I think the industry uh, that we are in is very Centred on looks and how people are on the outside rather than what they have to give, which is a shame.
1: Yeah. Mm. But I mean, hopefully kind of uh, like you were saying, kind of, it does feel like things are changing. It, think, it feels yeah. like things are kind of pushing in, in, a, in a better direction. And like to take it back again to Girl, Woman, Other, you know, the, the mm. centrepiece of the novel is a play about, um, you know, Black women in history with like an all almost all black female cast and the audience Mm. are it brings together so many of the women in the book who sort of are marginalised until they get to this space where they suddenly see themselves represented on Mm. stage in a way that feels very. 2019 you know yeah. something that is not really anything that could have happened or doesn't feel like it happened as much in the mainstream mm. even sort of 10 15 years ago yeah. yeah and
0: carol quite surprisingly says it herself she goes i never expected to see women who looked like me yeah, yeah. up on stage which is incredible yeah, you know? mm-hmm.
1: yeah. um I, I did actually ask Bernadine this last episode but i would love to ask you the same thing just um are there any real-world versions of that that have happened to you recently? Have you been to see anything, like whether it's cinematic or mm. like theatrical, mm. recently, where you've gone like, oh, I feel really seen, I feel really represented here?
2: Yeah. So there's a play called Halfbreed, um, which Ooh. is by Natasha Marshall, which was on the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago, and then I saw it in Manchester at the Royal Exchange Theatre, which was so brilliant. It was like, um, yeah, it was all about. Um, being mixed race specifically in kind of a, like tiny village. Yeah. I think it's in like it the home counties. It did it was you? really, really good. It's yeah. brilliant, she it was incredible. Yeah. Her
1: yeah. like, one woman play like, and she has like different physicality and different voices for all the different characters. Yeah,
2: isn't she? Absolutely. Oh, wow. It was so good. isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really like, good. yeah. Just like the dialogue, just like, it feels, it was just so triggering. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're,
1: just <laughs> in the, you're just in this, in the seats <laughs> just being like, God, you've just read my diary. Like it really was. It, yeah. And I think that was like such a good example of a, uh, specifically of the mixed race kind of experience mm. as well, because it is something that is, is not quite white, is not quite black and, and there are so many specific incidences where you just go like, oh God, like that's exactly yeah. something yeah. That I've experienced.
2: And she's kind of, um, she details her life growing up in like a tiny village in the home counties and kind of about what her friendships are like in that situation, being kind of the only person of colour in like such a small town um, and also just having ambition and drive and kind of wanting to leave and wanting to um, find a space for herself and not seeing that where she is um, and kind of also about microaggressions and racism mm-hmm. in that situation and what that looks like when you confront it for the first time like yeah. as a teenager which she does um and it's just really it's great <laughs> yeah i think it's been made Definitely. to a tv show is it yeah oh, that I, is I saw really her, that's like, right i saw
1: her um instagram post about like the, the like first script i'm pretty oh, sure oh my gosh uh, that's amazing yeah and i think
2: there's especially i think it's so powerful when it's written and acted by someone who has the experience because it's so because i feel like there, there are many more articles like written about um mm-hmm. kind of mixed race experience black experience but often not by people actually from those races yeah. yeah so like the amount that i've read that are like you know i just don't feel like i belong anywhere and i'm half this and half, and i'm like that's just not that isn't what it feels like yeah. at all like yeah. i <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and to have someone who actually lived Authentically, it yeah, yeah explain it and kind of show it is so, it's so validating and yeah. i'm sure that's what they must have felt like in the book as well where yeah. it's like oh like thank <laughs> you like this feels so different when you know it's written by someone yeah. yeah actually there's
0: a tv series sorry as you were saying that i was thinking about a tv series called mixed up was oh. written by um natalie morris and um it's basically just mixed race people talking about their experience and, and what they've gone through and it's just it's really great so definitely look it up yeah. you know if you're looking Sounds for really good. you know mixed up mixed up yeah. look it up
1: <laughs> uh, Hannah what themes did uh, the book throw up for you if you got a question for us
2: yes yeah so actually quite similar to what I was just talking about. Like, mm-hmm. um so we half-breed a set. One of my favourite things um about the book is the fact just the sheer um number of different um women's experiences that are mm-hmm. in there um and the fact that there very much isn't one narrative and something i like especially enjoyed was uh the narrative of people of color growing up like in the countryside and also just in towns outside of london um and i don't think i realized how much i was kind of starved of that in media until seeing it so in the book you have um Mm. grace and hattie and then eventually morgan who kind of Mm. uh tied to northumberland and Mm. the way that it's written as well it's such a um kind of rootedness as they like kind of they're so rooted to the land there and like it's their that's their entire identity really is like um their life there in the farm and then also you have winsome who um lives in cornwall for a while and kind of is married to someone who um really is like drawn to the sea and like wants Mm -hmm. that life um and at the time when they're living there it's very very they're very obviously different to Mm -hmm. like everyone else around them and how difficult that is which is quite a different narrative to the Northumberland one where they become like kind of a pillar in the like society there like they're very much othered and kind of told to leave Mm -hmm. um and I just found it yeah really refreshing to see that represented and relating to that a book that um I felt also kind of talks about those themes and I found really interesting and refreshing. It's a book called Afropean by Johnny Pitts. Yes. Um, so that's a nonfiction book. And uh, so Johnny kind of went around Europe. He spent six months traveling and meeting uh, kind of communities of color in lots of different countries in Europe. Yeah. Um, and um, asked them about their experiences and kind of what, how they identified themselves and kind of a, Coined the term Afropean and he has like a website and a whole community around this term um, as a community that exists outside of kind of black British and <laughs> yeah. all of these. Yeah. Um and yeah, I just kind of as I was thinking about that and also thinking about Girl Woman Other, um the question I have for you guys is um do you think the current level of BAME representation in UK media is too London centric? And do you think it only focuses on one narrative?
0: First of all, I just wanna say I live for Winsome. Like I live for how sassy and I know we shouldn't use that triggering word, but get your life. Like she lives she grew up in the countryside and then, you know, lives with this man and and then decides to go and get what she wants. I know it's wrong, but she gets what she wants. Honestly, if you haven't read the book, go and read it purely for Winsome's story. Damn it. Anyway, Um, Yeah, I think I think a lot of like, um, people of color, the representation of people of color um, in the media is very London centric. I'd never really thought about that. It's very weird because people of color are represented everywhere. For instance, I'm from Essex. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think there should be a little bit more representation from people from the countryside. You
1: know, I, I agree. And as a person of colour who grew up in the countryside, <laughs> in Shropshire, uh, yeah, in Shropshire, <laughs> as, as green as it gets, um, it was a very, very different experience to the very urbanised version of like blackness or, you know, um, people of colourness in general that you see on TV, that you see represented in media. And I think that is also that is constructed as aspirational. I think, you know, mm. it, what makes it kind of, you feel like a, an other within another, because yes. not only are you trying to kind of come to terms with your blackness, but you're trying to come to terms with a form of blackness that isn't really applicable to you. Mm. Um, you know, there's there, you know, most of what we saw growing up kind of felt more like the kind of top boy-esque version of, of blackness yes. that, that is that is kind of, even still now, much more prevalent. And I think you're so right that reading this book kind of made me remember that oh yeah like that that is much closer to my upbringing Mm. and and even the kind of like the racism the the microaggressions you know felt much more closer to the things that I experienced growing up um yeah I think it's I think it's a difficult one because obviously the people that make the content are primarily London based you know there's a a lot of and there is a, a much higher sort of density of of people from all different backgrounds in these urban areas so i suppose you're making you're making tv shows you're writing books you're writing plays to appeal to people from those demographics and Mm. i think what might be difficult is is kind of just the sparsity of people of color in those other areas you know i i've spoken a lot on the podcast about kind of how there were so few black people or even like mixed race people in shrewsbury where i grew up and lots of mm-hmm. others, other sort of areas like that and i think you kind of need enough of them to get together to kind of form a bit of culture and to form something where they yeah. they feel comfortable telling their story and thinking anyone's going to care yeah. i think is kind of the is the big thing is how do you like something like um breed? you know and natasha's play i think like how do you You have to have the confidence to know that what you've experienced isn't an isolated incident. It's something Mm. that is universal or it's something that can be universal. Mm. Um, And so I think empowering people to feel that their voice is worth hearing Mm. and that the story that they have, you know, even though it feels individual, actually can speak to like hundreds, thousands, Mm. you know, tens of thousands is is the way that we could kind of change that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how we do it, but I think, you know, connectivity and, and being being able to sort of talk to people through the internet and, and mm-hmm. having that feeling of closeness even over distance kind of helps. Mm-hmm. But I also think it may be when we are like you said, you know, when a lot of the content is very London based and mm-hmm. a lot of the content is very urban based and when all of our like a lot of the pillars of kind of pop culture are people like Maya Jammer, people like Stormzy and like Skepta and you know, who are all incredible people in their own right but represent a relatively slim percentage of the entire sort of multiplicity that we can be yeah it does continue to fuel that narrative where you're like oh actually like how do I fit into the mold if I don't feel that my upbringing or that my experiences like chime with what those guys are doing yeah mm-hmm. Can I ask just a bit, like, on, on part of that question, where did you grow up?
2: Um, so, kind of all over. So, I was born in Southeast London, mm-hmm. um, lived there till I was eight, and then moved up to, like, a tiny village just outside of Glasgow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, like, change. my mum's side, yeah, exactly, is all from Scotland. So, that's kind of where I feel most connected in the UK, because that's where we'd go every holiday. And, yeah. um, and then... At kind of 12, we moved to Manchester, Mm -hmm. like inner city Manchester. Um, And especially the area that we lived in was like predominantly uh, Muslim. So like both the schools I went to were like 90% Muslim. Um, So that was much more like the community I had there. So yeah, kind of all over is why I didn't realize how much i was like missing <laughs> these stories until i read this book and i was like oh my gosh this really is yeah. so different from what i'd like yeah and so like one that there've been a, a few books i don't know if either of you read um red dust road by jackie Kay. no no, no. no. um but it's weirdly like s- similar to my story just because she's um kind of grows up in scotland and um, is now living in Manchester, and it's like a oh, similar. And she's fixed yeah, she's race, yeah, yeah like very right. similar. And I remember that being like a light bulb moment. I must. I read that at like yeah, twelve or thirteen, and was like, oh my goodness, this is what it looks like to uh, like <laughs> to
1: see yourself represented. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because yeah. I remember being like, I just used to have the most kind Of the smallest goals for what representation could look like, I remember really, really loving Taylor Swift because she was tall and had really curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, representation, that's exactly. And then you read something like this, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. right, yeah. there is so much room for like all of us, yeah. you know. <laughs> <I> <laughs> weep for young youth, you <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, it kills me now it's like, <laughs> I actually find it quite <laughs> difficult to see Can her. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, what a sad time in my life. <laughs> bad times yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! but yeah and i think i guess that's a huge part of what brandy's trying to do is like because mm-hmm. um you know she's grew up in london and that's kind of her experience and her background and this mm-hmm. could have very easily have been a book that just focuses on the characters that do as well because there are yeah some and there's loads of those narratives and it kind of is set in those places but i think kind of her Goal. and I think what she succeeded in doing is just being like there is so there's such a vast spectrum yeah. of who we can be and already are and have been for hundreds of years yeah. like the fact that she takes it back um and kind of talks about the origins of how people started building their life here and like yes. how they moved here and like even the fact that um she kind of talks about how what we've been talking about in politics in the moment is specifically Windrush, which yeah. of course yes. was like a really important moment, but it's not all of our experience. Like lots of us have families who came over, like my family came over from Nigeria in like a completely different generation. And, yeah. you know, it's, we're such a melting pot and it's also not just a recent thing or like there aren't these like key moments in this one community exactly. It just is much. And larger. I think also
1: there's, it's, it's, for me, the book kind of touches on or de- deconstructs the idea of like there was a before, before and after. It's that kind of feeling, isn't it? Of mm. She she helps you realize like there has always been diversity in Britain. There has always been, you know a see of different faces of different colors of different cultures of different foods and aspirations and actually yeah like you said it didn't start in the 1950s and prior to that it was the good old days where everything was you know completely white completely homogenous mm-hmm. and and it feels as though it's like history's kind of been quite revisionist recently in terms of being able to say i would prefer it wait like back then and but when you ask anyone to sort of pinpoint what that is they find yeah. it very difficult because actually as we can tell you know when you start looking into it we've always been a nation of immigrants as have yeah. most mm-hmm. nations yeah. and so so, yeah, you're, you're right, it, it really does it helps to sort of make you feel less alone and make your experience feel a bit more valid regardless yeah. of whether you're from a very urban area or from a less urban area mm. well. Yes,
0: absolutely
1: Um, So Sharon, I'm going to ask you a question we always ask, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, what has inspired you this week? What have you Okay,
0: what specifically inspired me is LaShawn Lynch in her latest Uh, uh, 007 James Bond poster. Um, But specifically, it's those like those first four abs that are on show (laughs) um, that call me out. where i am at home just having my pizza uh-huh they just calling me out and just like look what you could be
1: very exciting and
0: look what you are right now so just for context of anyone's
1: listening uh, who doesn't know who lashana lynch is mm-hmm.
0: um you should know who lashana lynch is if you don't you will do in the next three months it's okay, true. This is about to be dope but yeah those four abs are destroying my life okay. and inspiring me <laughs> at the same time. there you go that's it um yeah that's me that's me hannah um, and what's inspired you.
2: Yeah, so I recently—I feel like I might be a bit late on this, but I started listening to the Modern Love podcast, which I don't know if any of you. Oh, nice! No, before. I um, so Modern Love is a column in the New Yorker. Yeah, yes. they just made a TV I've seen show. The TV, out TV of it, right? show, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. I've but the, the TV show. yeah, the podcast I think started a little earlier and are now going alongside the TV show. Okay. I actually haven't seen the TV show, so I can't comment on that. But oh my gosh, the podcasts are absolutely amazing. They really like yeah. stretched what I thought like love could mean and i listen to the they're like 20 minutes long i listen to them on the way to work and like sometimes i'm just crying on the tube and oh. i'm like why am i starting my day like this yeah. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. not the way to walk into work <laughs> but they're so good and some of them are like really serious some of them are just hilarious and yeah. bizarre yeah. and like it's exactly no, definitely what check you it want. out.
0: that's so cool that's cool
2: stevenson <laughs> what's inspired you
1: Thank you. Um, and what's inspired me is another podcast, actually, um, which I think is a good thing as we're sort of closing up the series. It's good to recommend some other things to bridge the gaps. Um, as yeah. uh, a podcast called Song Exploder, which I don't know if either of you mm, no, um, no, yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm it's a big, big fan of it. So it's... Um, Basically, it's kind of like a musically supported audiobook. Like each episode is based on the creative process of a different artist. And there's people like uh Janelle Monet, uh Blood Orange, like Mumford and Sons, like uh Big Boy from Outcast, um like like a, such an incredible spread. Um bon Iver's done one recently. Um and so each episode an an artist deconstructs a song that they've made and talks about the process like through both kind of like the audio and the production side, but like the emotional and narrative side as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and so each episode is wildly different because obviously each artist's creative process is really, really different. Um, but, um, something that's like a universal theme in every episode is kind of like them talking about something so personal to them and like how their creative process works. Um, and as an artist and a music lover, it's kind of, unlike anything else I've really come across and it's very therapeutic and it also makes me really want to create like I, I finish and I'm like oh god that's how you start with an idea and like take it through to completion and it just makes you really excited wow But yeah, you're about to go Exploder, and do like the,
0: the craziest fire in the booth <laughs> yeah exactly so we're gonna hear some lyrics <laughs> I mean Don't that's not
1: necessarily my creative process look out
0: for <laughs> and independent mixtape <laughs> jokes
1: Uh, so Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on yeah. the podcast today. It's been great. You've been amazing. I've You've really, been so yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, I've had so much, such Hannah. a good time. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, where can people find you?
2: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. So I'm uh, um, just Hannah Chukwu with an extra U at the end. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Go Home Another is published
1: by Hamish Hamilton and available at all good bookshops and online. This is the final episode of the series. Oh my god,
0: I can't believe that. That's insane. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, final? It's crazy. It's mad.
1: But thank you so much for supporting us through this first series. It's been great fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. We have. if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a review. Uh, just let Something us know nice, what you think. please. So, yeah. You know, if you something give us five cute. Stars, be we that. <laughs> <laughs> um and in the meantime, if you'd like to reach out to us about anything we've discussed today or about anything we've discussed over the series, or just talk to us in general, you can find us at Generation Vex on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can find me at Stevenson underscore LTD on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Or me at Sharon Rose Live on Twitter and Instagram.
1: The best way to keep up to date with everything Generation Vex is to subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find in the link in the bio, and that will keep you up to date on all things
0: Generation Vex. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) and that will keep you up to date on all things Generation Vex.
0: Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures.
1: Thanks so much for listening, guys.
0: Thank you. Keep
1: reading.